different opening today i'm just gonna i'm just gonna cold open like we're uh like we're the smartless podcast chris cervello and i uh john schofield here with the sing second pod we are bringing you the weekly updates from the naval academy and the naval academy alumni association and foundation uh, a little bit of mixture of sports in there and some conversation about current navy activities and news uh chris you know what? I'm starting it off kind of low-key today. Um, a little more conversational. I just got back from Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, I was able to take part in Phoenix Navy Week, but also got in some rounds of golf. Many thanks to Mike Hekomovich. I was able to play uh, Stancia, something you and I have done uh, in the past, a very nice course, and a couple of other nice courses. Um, the game is not there, my man. Um, five, five days of picking up a golf club, not really... Uh, not really where my game needs to be. I know that you are playing golf with TJ Grady of the Alumni Association and Foundation tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, let me fill you in. Uh, TJ and Nancy are in the midst, in fact, just finishing up their Florida road, road show, um, going from parent clubs to chapters, all the way from you know, Southern Florida, Miami-Dade, uh, through the Space Coasts, uh, Palm Beach, and then um, and then in Ponte Vedra today. Uh, what kind of golf game is TJ Grady going to get from you out at very scenic Hammock Beach Ocean Course tomorrow? Well, the weather will be good. Let's just say that, right? <laughs> I promised him mediocre golf uh, or a mediocre golf game from me, but great weather. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, lo looking forward to hearing about that. Florida swing. Um, I heard from some buddies uh, down in South Florida that they were able to see TJ and uh, um, heard from somebody that was going to the Orlando um, event. So uh, that, that's great. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, this is an important function that you guys do, um, you know, whether it's getting out to Navy weeks and seeing grads or doing dedicated swings. Um, those in addition to big events like tailgates or, you know, uh, parents club meetings or whatever. I mean, it's, it's really important for you to get the pulse of, uh, what's on the mind of alumni. Yeah. And, and I got a chance to do that myself. Um, coming back from Phoenix, it wasn't just playing golf. I was able to go out there and support a really neat event. Uh, and it was for the USS Arizona legacy foundation. Uh, Phoenix Navy week is taking place really as I talk uh, and we record this, just got back from the very beginning of Fleet Week, which goes until Friday of this week. But, you know, there's always a flag officer who's kind of designated the lead flag uh, or the lead officer for uh, for these Navy weeks where we go out to non-traditional fleet concentration areas, uh, cities like Phoenix, um, and, and bring someone from our flag mess uh, who grew up there. And in this particular case, it was Rear Admiral Mark Benning, a 1990 graduate of the Naval Academy. Uh, right now, he is the director of the Undersea Warfare Division um, up there at the Pentagon. N97 is that code. 
Uh, but seeing him out there and a lot of grads out there supporting this USS Arizona event. And, and for those of you who don't know, uh, during his tumultuous time as the Secretary of the Navy, um, uh, Secretary Modley, with very little fanfare, not as much fanfare as there should have been, named a new USS Arizona, one of the future Virginia-class submarines being built at Electric Boat up there in Connecticut, um, will be named the USS Arizona, the first named USS Arizona since the battleship was uh, sunk in uh, Pearl Harbor. So, you know, a really nice event that tied together, uh, you know, current Arizona residents who are grads who were playing a very large role in this uh, legacy foundation like Mike Hekimovich, you know, the current director of the Undersea Warfare Division going out there. Uh, and then some of the crew of this new submarine, which is, again, currently being built, but they have a PCU unit. Uh, it was a really good opportunity. And and again, being able to play some golf uh, out there was was super fun. But you, know, you really have to um, to take your hat off to someone like Mike Hekimovich again. And we've talked to Mike on this pod but Mike is the uh, is the deputy chair of the USS Arizona Legacy Foundation. And what they're doing is just trying to build awareness for what this ship will stand for. Um, it's an awfully, let's call it a heavy mantle to, uh, you know, to, to have that name on your ship, uh, particularly with the significance of the memorial in Hawaii. But uh, I thought they did a very good job. We were able to help them out with making a video uh, and really get some excitement behind this ship. Um, you know, Chris, what is like the the naming of a new USS Arizona mean to you? Like for a lot of people, you and I have been there. You know, we were on the news desk at the Pentagon when we sunk USS America. Um, and there were a lot of people who said, well, not really the right thing. We, I know we did it as a weapons test, but you sunk a ship that was named USS America. You should name, you know, the very next aircraft carrier USS America. And it was not to be, it ended up being USS Gerald R. Ford. But in this particular case, I think this is a well-timed effort um, to have a new USS Arizona. Yeah, I think that the timing's right. Uh, Secretary Moodley at the time, I think, read the tea leaves right, read the, the timing correct. Um, you know, by all account, uh, this Virginia class submarine, um, will continue the le legacy of, uh, the former USS Arizona, um, as being a symbol, um, and an important, uh, piece of hardware, uh, in the Pacific likely. I mean, we don't know where it'll be home ported, but I mean, you, you know, if you listen to Navy leaders, they say they need as many submarines as possible in the Pacific. So there's a good chance that the next USS Arizona will sail the seas in the Pacific like the former Arizona and will, you know, will will uh, you know, hopefully instill the same level of uh, respect and fear uh, that uh, USS Arizona, the battleship, did prior to uh, December 7th, 1941. Before we go too much further, I'd like to get someone else's perspective on the new USS Arizona, and this is a great interview for us. Um, yeah, particularly for me, uh, we're going to bring you a quick interview with Captain Katie Hill. Uh, Katie Hill is a 97 grad, um, went off, became a P3 pilot, did all the hard jobs in the Navy, worked for a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chris Cervello and, and Admiral Bill Moran. You worked with Katie Hill a bunch, and now Katie Hill is is out there, you know, helping supply the new Navy Marine Corps with leaders. She is the 
commanding officer of the NROTC unit at Arizona State University. I was able to spend some time with her um, and talk about this Arizona event where the interview took place, but also talk about her perspectives on leadership as a graduate and as a commanding officer in a pretty important job. So without any further ado, Chris, here is our quick interview with Captain Katie Hill, class of 97. As we are in Arizona for Phoenix Navy Week, we'd like to bring you a very special interview with the great class of 97's graduate, Katie Hill. She is currently the skipper, the CEO of the NROTC unit at Arizona State University. First of all, Katie, first time on the podcast, we're doing this live, live to tape, of course, but live from the USS Arizona Legacy Foundations event here as part of Phoenix Navy Week. First of all, introduce the podcast, uh, you know, listening group to who you are, what you did at the yard, and how you ended up now as the skipper at the USS Arizona, you know, NROTC unit. Sure. Well, thanks, John. First of all, thanks for having me. Thanks for visiting us here in Tempe, Arizona. Um, I'm M from the class of 97. So I was in 6th Company, 11th Company. Uh, I was company commander. I sang in the Glee Club. I do not sing on command any longer, so don't even ask me. Um, became a P3 pilot straight out of uh, flight school. Um, served all over the world, like probably many of your listeners did. And then um, after I finished my major command tour in recruiting, had the opportunity, my family lives here. So uh, for the first time in 26 years, I'm near them. And I have, I think the greatest Navy job in Arizona, which, you know, spoiler alert, there's no ocean, not a lot of ships here. Um, So I am here leading a unit of about 100 midshipmen. I have the Navy and Marine Corps midshipmen who go to Arizona State University and commission as ensign and second lieutenants. So in case anyone noticed, we cued the band uh, so that Katie Hill's interview would be much more significant. But in all seriousness, Katie, we've worked for the same people before. Um, you know, the concentric circles of our naval you know, experiences come together in a lot of ways. But one of your last ones and one of my last ones was working for our current ANSP chairman, Admiral Bill Moran. You know, a lot of leadership lessons to be yielded there, but from Bill Moran to your company officer when you were just a midshipman, what leadership lessons have you applied along the way? Wow, talk about an easy question to answer uh, live and succinctly. Um, I think the first thing is is to set an example. And I, when I look back and guys like Kyle Kozad and Bill Moran, who I got to work for, uh, really were standouts in that you just looked at them and said, wow, can I have any amount of what that person has? Because they're people who genuinely care about other people, uh, people who walk the walk, talk the talk, and are incredibly authentic. And they're people who make a difference and make that a priority. So I think those are the things that um, I have had the privilege to work for so many great people and work with so many great people who embody that. And man, if I can live up to 10% of that, I'm doing well. So I want to get a little bit more into your job. So you've been the, you know, the skipper of a squadron, you know, again, in the the patrol and reconnaissance game. Um, You have, you know, worked on the E-ring, you have deployed overseas, you have been in harm's way. What is it about your current job that makes you feel like you're in a unique position to impart some knowledge upon the people who, you know, the, the, the China coming across the Taiwan Strait is not, you know, 
you know, a possibility for them. You know, it, it, it's not something that they are taught in the war college like we were. This is now something that's like knocking on their door. The, you know, the events in Ukraine, the events, you know, between Israel and Gaza, these are real-time issues that, that ensigns are going out and firing missiles, you know, to down Houthi threats in the Red Sea. What, what, how do you feel about your job, you know, preparing these young men and women for harm's way? Well, I think it's both hard and easy at the same time. So it's hard because of all the things you mentioned, the fierce urgency of now is, is here for this generation of young leaders. And oh, by the way, add on to that, uh, things like a pandemic at home, things like uh, the kids who are in my program right now, you know, they live through multiple years of, ho of homeschooling, video school. Um, so their context is very uncertain and it's, just riddled with change. I mean, artificial intelligence, what that's going to do in the next years. They have a lot of questions. But where it's easy is you focus on the fundamentals, right? It's blocking and tackling. It's honor, courage, commitment. It's a midshipman does not lie, cheat, or steal. And I think where our generation gets to connect with the younger generation is assuring them that those fundamental concepts are not going to be different for them and they're what they're going to lean on in the hardest times even if it's something we can't even imagine right now is going to be the challenge so you mentioned from our generation to their generation we're in an event tonight that is reaching back to the greatest generation and that is you know recognition of the hard work that the uss arizona uh, Legacy Foundation is doing, you know, if, if you don't know, we're naming, or we've already named, um, you know, from Secretary Modley a couple of years ago, you know, one of the next Virginia-class submarines after USS Arizona will be the first one since the battleship Arizona was sunk and is in its current state in Pearl Harbor. What does it mean to you to be a part of, like, bringing back the past into this kind of present training environment for you? Well, you know, and we just lost here in Arizona, one of our greatest generation patriots, Jack Holder, who was an Arizona native and a Pearl Harbor survivor. And um, Mr. Holder went around to school groups and community groups, and he was really the face of the tradition and the sacrifice that his shipmates made um, at Pearl Harbor. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away this year. And so it is, it's almost seems like it was meant to be that we now have this opportunity to connect with the future. Because if you look at potential for conflict in the Pacific, even as an aviator, I can see that the submarine is going to be what makes a difference um, in, that, in that fight. So to be able to talk to people in the desert where there's no ocean about what the Navy does and you know the USS Arizona is I mean the the tea set is at the state capitol the memorial there's a memorial outside the state capitol if you go to Talking Stick um, Casino there's a beautiful memorial to the the sailors who were lost that day um, there's a lot of connection a lot of patriotism here and so to carry that thread through to a Virginia class submarine um, the newest technology in the fleet and something that we really need to have uh, a great deal of community support for here I think Arizona is going to do the Navy proud and this whole state proud before I let you go because I know everyone's going to be coming in here one of your current midshipmen is I, be I believe the son of your 97 classmate 
Um, you know, so for a lot of us, our naval careers come to a close. You know, as you evaluate um, where you are, now the skipper of a unit where your own classmate's kid is under your tutelage, how do you evaluate what the Naval Academy did for you? Like, did, was it, you know, just one of several points of success for you? Or was it the grounding and foundational element that put you on the path that you're on today? Because right now, you are the skipper of an NROTC unit. You're a graduate of character and consequence. And we always love to impart those secrets to the listening audience. Well, the Naval Academy changed everything for me. I'm first generation college in my family. Um, grew up in a blue collar family. My dad was a Navy vet, but um, you know, I knew I was going to college, but had no clue what that might look like. And I grew up in Maryland. I went and visited the Naval Academy on a school trip, and went. Well, those kids seem to know. They seem to have it together, you know, as a as a young person. So um, it what it did for me. First of all, it gave me a great education that served as a foundation going forward. I think for someone who did not have a military background, tremendous opportunity to get grounded in all the customs and traditions of service, get an education in what the Navy was and what it was meant to do in the world. And then the people. Um, my best friends still to this day are those that cohort of people I traveled through life with from the academy and then it grows as your career grows and you find these people and you had that touch point to go back um, you know you walk around a football game and so I have lived in 20 different countries and moved a bunch of different times and um, to me Annapolis will always be my hometown and it wasn't my original hometown but it is the place kind of where everybody goes knows your name when you go back to and so I'm very proud to be a grad. Well, lastly, I know Chris Cervello couldn't be here to ask this question, but I'll ask you, you know, Kyle Bradish is a little bit banged up. John Means is going to be ready for the beginning of the season. You have a glut of infield talent. Jordan Westberg, Kobe Mayo went two for two today in a spring training game. You're the GM under the new uh, leadership group. And what, what's, what's Katie Hill's move? Give me, give me your Baltimore Sun op-ed now. Uh, my favorite quote from Earl Weaver was, hey, my job is to just make these guys make sure they're the best they can be, and that's all you got to do as general manager. I'm sure they're going to live up to it. Oh, such a trained answer. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Captain Katie Hill, CEO of the NROTC unit at Arizona State University, here at a great event uh, for the USS Arizona Legacy Foundation. I am John Schofield. We're going to go to break. This is Sync Second. The Sync Second Podcast is brought to you by Stratascore Technologies. Stratascore Technologies is a leading small business provider of information technology services to America's warfighters. Headquartered in Virginia Beach, Virginia, their 230 plus employees have been delivering premier quality services in software and network engineering, enterprise architecture, a float installation and maintenance, IT operations management and cybersecurity to the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps since 2015. Team Stratus has a global footprint with staff located all over the United States and 11 destinations around the world, including Singapore, Japan, Guam, Korea, Greece, and Germany. Stratus Core Technologies is the provider of choice when the nation's most difficult technological problems need the most enterprising solutions. The Sing Second Podcast is very proud to have Stratascore Technologies as one of our premier sponsors. Please check out Stratascore Technologies online for your information technology services solutions. All right, we're back. 
Um, Chris, I know that you and Katie go way back. I I had only met her once, but you know, hearing her interview, you know, and and thinking back to uh, the times that you served together, particularly on Admiral Moran's staff, you know, just just an impressive officer and someone who you know kind of embodies all of those things that you want in a leader, right? Like loyalty, consistency. Uh, upholding the standard. Um, I was just really taken with her remarks and it was fun being around her for a couple of days in Arizona. Captain Hill is one of those folks that uh, she not only is a very talented officer herself, but she makes the staff uh, better um, because she um, is a good teammate, um, but also holds her other teammates to high standards. So uh, I really enjoyed working with her um, when we were uh, helping Admiral Moran when he was the vice chief of uh, naval operations and, um, you know, hadn't really stayed in touch with her that much since she went out to uh, ASU to uh, to have her current job. So I was really happy to hear that um, you were going to be able to spend some time. And uh, I thought that was a great interview. Yeah, super fun. And many thanks to Captain Hill. Um you know, the great thing that I heard, you know, from her, Chris, was that she's a lifelong Orioles fan. And like me, used to write right. articles to the Baltimore Sun, you know, uh-huh. telling them to do certain, uh, you know, certain personnel moves. So I'm sure that you felt your ears ringing a little bit that uh, Captain Hill was incredibly impressed with my annual op-ed that I would write to the Baltimore uh-huh. Sun. The Orioles. <laughs> it was it was fun to at least commiserate with a fellow uh, with a fellow Oriole fan. Yeah. Um, speaking of someone who's not an Oriole fan, but you know, like we talked about before, with good leaders like Captain Hill, like Admiral Moran, our next interview, ladies and gentlemen, comes you know from the heart a little bit. Uh, one of our favorite bosses uh, when we were public affairs officers uh, was a gentleman named Denny Moynihan, uh, Rear Admiral Denny Moynihan, who served as the Chief of Information. Um, toward the latter stages of our careers when we were lieutenant commanders into our uh, into our 05 rank. Um, we have a very special interview with Admiral uh, with Admiral Moynihan, um, getting his perspective not only, you know, as a grad, an 86 grad, um, who served both as a surface warfare officer and as a public affairs officer, but getting his perspective, a really good perspective now as a parent uh, of midshipmen. His uh, oldest, Dennis, is a junior. Uh, his youngest, Delaney, is a plebe. Uh, and here we are, we're right in the in the dark ages. Um, so getting his perspective about how his two kids are enduring this, how he used to endure it, and the leadership lessons he applied when he was leading knuckleheads like Chris and me um, are just really well taken here. So here's our interview with the class of 86's Denny Moynihan, Rear Admiral, retired. This is a good one, ladies and gentlemen. We have uh, made a concerted effort over the years uh, to not bring on other PAOs, Chris and myself being from the best community in the Navy, but we are very happy to be joined by one of our old bosses, class of 86 grad, Denny Moynihan. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know, like just beat out right at the end by Doug Wojcik to be the point guard for David Robinson. Instead, he had to be uh, an amazing golfer here at the Naval Academy. Uh, Denny, number one, thank you so much. It's weird for me to call you Denny. It's still something I'm not able to do, but you know, thank you for joining the pod. If you can, just kind of catch us up. Um, you know, what was your midshipman experience like? And then a really quick summary of, of you know, what you did when you got out into the fleet. 
Uh, thanks, John. It's a it's a pleasure to be here, as they say in sports talk radio. Um, first time caller, a long time listener. I'll I'll try to be brief, and hopefully we can talk about things that might matter to the people that are listening. Um, my career at the academy it happened a long time ago, and what I would say to quote a former boss is that it was remarkably unremarkable. Um, I was in the company of some amazing people, uh, brilliant people that like Steve Bowen who were up in space, and Greg Fatten who commanded us. Carrier Strike Group and my roommate, Jim Columbus, who's now working at DARPA. So uh, I was just a grinder and I just did whatever I could to try to get through and do and do the best I could. Um, from there, I went in the surface community. Um, I was in a vowed five and outer, like many of the listeners might think they were. But um, I did this lateral transfer thing as I'm applying for graduate school and thinking I'm either going to go to grad school or be a uh, uh a salesman for a pharmaceutical company. Um, and this deputy chinfo calls, I'm eating a sandwich and he says, congratulations, Lieutenant, you're in the public affairs community. I said, Oh my God. So gave it a shot. The jobs, the jobs and the people kept getting better. And then 26 later, years later, I'm uh, at Naval district, Washington, turning it over to John Kirby. So that's the story of my Navy life, John, without boring too many people. No. And, and your public affairs, you know, career obviously ended with you being the chief of information. You know, what what lessons did you, you know, actually not even lessons, you know, what what are some of the, the most impactful vignettes, you know, of your public affairs career, you know, because there you were, you're advising secretaries of the Navy, chiefs of naval operations, you know, guiding a community, not only as Chinfo, but as you're coming up through the ranks as a lieutenant commander, commander and captain, you know, through OIF, OEF, um, you know, what what were some of the most impactful things on your PA community or on your PA career that now guides you as you are a very successful communications executive in the civilian community? The most impactful lesson that I learned uh, through through the public affairs community through my entire time in the Navy was the requirement to lead from behind. And, and what does that mean? You've really got to bury your ego if you want to get the best of everybody that's around you. So what does that mean? One of the best vignettes that I remember is in 2011, uh, a bunch of people came into the Pentagon and said, you know what, it's going to be 11, 11, 11. And we want to do a basketball game in an aircraft carrier. And you know, we had people that came to us who knew how to do a basketball game. We had people on aircraft carriers who knew how to do big things, but not a basketball game. So to try to make it all work. And if you thought something was a great idea, you had to work with people and you had to team with people. Um, and you really had to bury your ego. And I found that in the community, in the private sector, they expect sometimes people coming from the military to be dictatorial, to lead from the top down. Sometimes there's times for that, but so much of life, John, I think is the ability to lead from behind and bury your ego and say, Hey, what's the best for the team and what's the best for the organization. And then, and then go get after it. Farmer, we were talking in the, uh, you know, sort of the pre discussion, we were talking about your experiences away from the Navy. I, I you touched on a little bit there, but I, I'd, I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, your day to day. What, what lessons do you find maybe practical lessons from being a midshipman? Do you still carry, you know, one or two with you that you use, in business um, away from the Navy that you find either help you or help your team uh, that you, you know, you're able to draw on the grind, appreciating the grind. 
and getting in routines that help you deal with the grind and getting through things. So for me at the Naval Academy, that meant we went to the library every night and studied because we knew that if we were in the hall, we were going to fool around or we we're going to get distracted. So every night and a lot of times on Saturdays, we went to the library, me and my roommate, Jim, to get things done and to try to be successful. And so when I take that into this world, if I want to be successful here at Quest Diagnostics, I've got to get up early. I got to prepare my body. I got to prepare my mind and I've got to be ready to go. So, um, in many respects, those four years, they never, they don't leave. Uh, if you take the right lessons and you, and you bring them forward and in the right setting, they're really valued out in this outside world. So now you have an, another perspective on that, uh, those four years, uh, as a parent, uh, you have two midshipmen, um, two Moynihan's are at the Naval Academy right now. Uh, one, a junior, one, a plebe. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. But what are you seeing from their perspective as a parent uh, and as a graduate parent um, that, you know, strikes you, um, impresses you? I mean, if you have anything that disappoints you, but I mean, your, your perspective, what, what are you seeing as a, as a graduate parent? There's a phrase that Colonel McDonough said that I remember when um, my second class, my son, Dennis, um, on I day, he brought us all in and I think it was a slide or maybe he said it. It was positive pressure with a purpose. And it's nothing that I ever recalled back when I was there, but it's something that I see and feel through my children every single day. It is really hard. And I dare say that what they go through um, to develop them professionally, to develop them physically, um, it's harder than what I remember going through. Um, but I always hear when I hear how hard it is and I do, um, I hear the dance little phrase ringing in my ear. It's positive pressure with a purpose. So it's, it's difficult what these midshipmen are going through, but it's, it's difficult for what I believe is all the right reasons. What do you hear from other parents that maybe aren't grads? Are you connected in that parent uh, network? I mean, do they, do they have a different perspective or do you feel like they're seeing the same, same thing? I mean, I kind of want to get to the, you know, grad versus not grad uh, of, uh, of parents of midshipmen. Uh, it's interesting. Um, when uh, uh, a young man or woman gets accepted and, you know, they're in high school and they're about to enter their journey, you know, the parents are sort of on the outside of the pool and they're dipping their toe in and they're curious and they're afraid and they're wondering what it's like they get to I day and they get to parents weekend and they are all in, they're in the pool, they're splashing around, they're in the deep end. They got their season tickets. Uh, they're, they're all in and they're incredibly proud. And how do I know? Um, you know, I see it in Facebook. I see it when I talk to people, there's, there's an incredible sense of pride that I see through the eyes of, of parents who've not experienced this before. And it's, it's really, it's really cool to see. I'll ask one last question and then throw it back to John. Um, I, I will now ask you to draw on your communication experience. There's a lot going on. We're all very busy. We get inundated with emails. There's podcasts. How do you feel um, you are kept in the loop on the Navy or excuse me, on the Naval Academy? Do you feel like you're getting enough information? You know, where, and I'm not, 
I'm not asking you to put anybody on report, but I mean, do you feel engaged as a graduate? And uh, what, you know, for you, um, you know, post-Navy, uh, now having kids, what, what do you look for when you want to hear about the Naval Academy? Well, there's certain places that I, I, would, I would tap into, some daily emails that I get, um, different things that, that I read. But um, I, your question, Chris, to me kind of gets back to – it gets to connection. And um, the arc of my connection to the academy, um, and maybe this will resonate with some other listeners, like when I left, um, I didn't look back. And I went forward, and I was so busy trying to do well in the fleet and trying to do well – in my job. And I never really thought back to the Academy. As a matter of fact, for my five-year reunion, um, me and a roommate, we went to a Notre Dame game in South Bend. So, but over time, this place brings you back um, for a lot of us. And so that's when I've decided to um, reconnect. Um, I think having kids obviously helps there, but um, this alumni association, um, I, I, I would encourage everybody to taste it again for the first time. Uh, it's really different and they're working really hard and it's not just about the Naval Academy. It's about helping other, it's helping graduates and helping spouses um, become successful. So taste it again for the first time is what I would say. Yeah. John, real quick, before yeah, you jump in, I, I just want to pile on that. It's funny. I was at an event this week um, and there was a, another, academy grad he, he was a speaker at the event he was an 07 grad and you know when you kind of you kind of talk about that arc and we were chatting catching up and we finally got to the naval academy he wasn't yet at that arc point right he was still very much the academy was in the rearview mirror for him right and, and even when i brought it up I, um, it was funny the difference between the smile on my face when i started talking about the academy and the alumni association and what we do for this podcast and he, he wasn't ready to go there yet. But I mean, everybody kind of has that point. You're, you're right. I mean, where all of a sudden you you re-remember, you retaste it, as you said. That's a great, great way to describe it. Um, and it becomes special to you in a, in a different way. We heard that from Nassim Nazar. We've heard that from other guests that, that we've had on. So that's such a great way to describe it. We talked about your successful career, you know, not only as a SWO, but as a PAO. Um, and, and now as you transitioned uh, into doing communications for Quest, you know, we talk a lot about you know, trying to keep this in the family, providing resources um, to veterans, to retirees, people who are transitioning from active duty to the civilian community and taking, in some cases, 25 to 30 years of your life from I-Day to retirement, and all of a sudden completely pivoting and going in another direction. You know, did, did you have particular resources that you relied on? And, and how can the Alumni Association and Foundation help more with those? When folks transition from the Navy, John I, and Chris, I think it's the most exhilarating experience, but it's also, it can be the most intimidating experience for your entire career, be that five years or be that 25 years. Somebody's telling you what to do, where to go and when to go. And then all of a sudden you get your DD-214 and you can go anywhere you want. And that's, for many of us, that's very liberating, but it can also be a little bit intimidating because, again, nobody's telling you what to do. What I would say is embrace um, the resources that you have and allow somebody to pay it forward. The power of your network, especially for Naval Academy graduates, the power of your Naval Academy network, that can really help. And you're never going to pay back the person that is going to help you, but allow somebody to pay it forward because then you're going to pay somebody 
you're going to pay somebody back that you don't even know exists yet. So it's incumbent, I think, that we help each other. I'm willing to talk to anybody about making transitions. I think there's there's a lot of of techniques and a lot of tips for success there, but don't go alone. Get help. And and I think what you're doing at the Alumni Association is incredibly helpful along those lines too. But go get some help. Go go ask questions and 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 make a successful transition. But it's it's a lot easier to do it when you're getting help than when you're not. Yeah, and that's another opportunity for me to shout it out to Mike Lowe, who uh, runs our Alumni Career Services Department. We just got a new website in that regard. So please, as Admiral Moynihan said, don't go through that alone. Utilize the resources that we're making available, not only on the web, but in person, going out to meet you where you are. So Im- impactful to me, um, you know, when I was working for you is that, you know, at a at a very senior uh, rank in the Navy, you had, you know, you know, Dennis and your daughter were young, um, you know, and, and so as you're like grinding it out in the E-ring, you know, as the CNO's PAO as Chinfo, you know, your kids were in middle school and in high school. And I know that you would give a ton of credit to Wendy um, for that. And Wendy, you know, has a very successful, uh, your spouse, Wendy has a very successful photography business. If any of you are looking at the next issue of Shipmate, ladies and gentlemen, the back cover, uh, is adorned by uh, Wendy Moynihan Photography. You know, it's something that isn't talked about a lot. And Chris and I talk a lot about it today. But, you know, how important, you know, is that spouse network? You you made an allusion to it earlier, but it's obviously foundational. Uh, the, the power of the Navy spouse can never be un- overestimated. It It is amazing. And, um, when you're doing hard things and when you're deployed, um, there's somebody that needs to help take care of business back at home. And it's always going to be a partnership, but it's the spouses at home that, that carry that load. And, um, Wendy, Wendy certainly did that, um, for me and allowed me to do the things that, uh, I, I needed to do in, in the Pentagon. And it's great. It's great to see, um, her business evolve and, uh, the photography business, um, you know, we're all in the communication business, that photography business, you know, like we spent a lifetime developing presentations, talking points and doing videos before somebody even consumes a talking point that we might create. They've already looked at an image of who that person is that's going in. So um, I, I think what she does is really cool. And it's also really important because that image is there long in advance of any spoken or written word that a lot of times we we bring up. Chris, anything to close or do you want me to do the last one? I think the only thing I'll say, and you'll, Admiral, you'll, you'll get annoyed because uh, I'm going to embarrass you, but I, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I mean, we get to talk to so many great people on the podcast. Uh, we, we've got to interview our heroes. We've got to interview our mentors. I kind of put you in a little bit of both of those categories as well as a, a friend at this point. Um, you were not only somebody in the Navy that I learned from, you were somebody that beat me up when I needed to be beat up, probably should have beat me up more. I wish I would have listened to more of those conversations. Um, you know, as, as they now resonate with me, um, quite, quite well, but you also have been very supportive of, uh, John and I's effort to do this podcast, uh, behind the scenes, um, giving us feedback, shooting us text. So, uh, it's really exciting to have you, uh, on this pod. Uh, you, you mean a lot to us, uh, really proud of you and your family and happy for you. So thank you very much for joining us, sir. Uh, thanks. There's, there's a lot underneath that, uh, John, but and Chris, but I'll, I'll just leave that at, at, at thanks. It means a lot. Well, um, I think we're, you know, what we teach here at the Leadership Laboratory at the at the Naval Academy is that you are just informed 
just as informed by your uh, by your failures as you are by your successes. Um, and you know, I, I know for me personally, I learned so much um, as I failed as a PAO and was led by Admiral Denny Moynihan, um, and it still informs me today. So, Admiral, I, I second what Chris said. Um, I'm so happy for your kids as they continue their journey as midshipmen, and we're so happy to have you on the pod. And we can't wait to have you on again. But before that, we can't wait to get you on the golf course so uh, so Chris can <laughs> exercise that nine handicap. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Denny Moynihan from the great class of 86, Naval Academy parent, and pretty good golfer, um, if I may say so myself. We're going to go to break. Stick with us. This is Sphinx Second. Sphinx Second Podcast is sponsored by ProMD Health. ProMD Health is a state-of-the-art medical practice comprised of several locations, all specializing in non-surgical treatments and procedures to help patients look younger on the outside and feel younger on the inside. At ProMD Health, their unique personal approach to medicine, coupled with their cutting-edge anti-aging treatments, provide their patients with unsurpassed care in a relaxing setting. They cater to patients that require the best in personalized medical care. Please visit ProMDHealth.com visit their office in Annapolis. Friend of the pod, Scott Melamed, has been the original sponsor of Sync Second, and we encourage you to visit the website for your non-surgical medical needs. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back, and it's time to take this baby out. But first, Chris, a couple of Pretty big news announcements here. Um, you know, as we close out the week, I'll start with the non-sports one because we're going to need some time to uh, evaluate the football schedule and you know coordinate it with Orioles games and Orioles runs uh-huh. to the World Series and golf outings. But um, the other big piece of news that broke here at the end of the week was that we have selected a new commandant of midshipmen. The 90th Commandant of Midshipmen at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, will be Captain Walter Allman III. Um, As far as I know, Chris, and and I haven't seen anything to say otherwise, I think this is the first Special Warfare uh, designated Commandant of Midshipmen. Um, If you look at his picture, he looks like he's a SEAL, looks like he parties. (laughs) Um, but yeah, kind of a, a kind of a huge announcement here, and and a uh, first to kind of accompany the first uh, with you know Yvette Davids becoming the first female superintendent. Yeah, uh, exciting announcement. Um, I'm just reading from his bio: uh, operational assignments at SEAL teams one and three, uh, SEAL delivery vehicle team one, Naval Special Warfare Development Group. Uh, with uh, several combat deployments and contingency ops in Iraq and Afghanistan and command corps at Tactical Development and Evaluation Squadron 4 and Naval Special Warfare Groups 3 and 8. So he brings uh, pretty significant warfighting chops um, along with uh, Yvette David's warfighting chops uh, to the leadership at the academy. Yeah, and Captain Allman was named Honorable Mention All-American on the Academy sailing team in 1996 and 1997, as everyone already knows. Uh, Vice Admiral Davids is quite the sailor as well, so maybe they'll be out there imparting some knowledge on the waters uh, in addition to their already very busy duties. Uh, Those duties in 2024, in the fall of 2024, will include 
a full football schedule. And Chris, um, the release of the Naval Academy football schedule for me, um, I thought was pretty awesome. It departed from a lot of norms. I had already called that, you know, we were going to play Rice, um, you know, Thanksgiving weekend because every single Thanksgiving we apparently go to Texas. This year is not the case. We start with three home games. We have some pretty cool road games in places we haven't traditionally gone, including one uh, down in South Florida, uh, close to you. Um, what were your thoughts on the football schedule as it was announced? Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I had any unique thoughts, John. I mean, I, the three home games in a row I thought was was interesting. After the first two games, it'll be nice to kind of give them some time off and let them uh, – figure out where, where they are, especially after playing Bucknell and hopefully beating Temple. I mean, those should be two victories. Um, you'll play, uh, you know, you play a tough Memphis team. UAB, I mean, it, it would be nice to beat UAB. Um, Air Force is tough. Charlotte should be a win. Um, Rice will be tough. South Florida, you know, who knows what kind of team they'll have. Tulane will be tough. Uh, East Carolina, we should be in. So, I mean, I, I like the way the schedule stacks up. Um, I mean, th- this is a gettable schedule. Um, I'm pretty excited. I think, I mean, I heard from my class, I think our 25-year reunion is going to be September 21st, uh, unless something changes. But that's kind of cool to start thinking about that. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's February. And we're already thinking about football. I know, right? Um, it's hard because every time I bring up like Orioles news, another right. pitcher has like a shoulder injury. So I've got to uh, yeah, focus my energies here. For for me, the real eye opener on the schedule was is a pretty tough five weeks in a row um, after the Air Force game and the bye in early October. October 19th, home to Charlotte. October 26th, versus Notre Dame up in New York. November 2nd at Rice. November 9th at South Florida. And then November 16th home to a Tulane team that was flirting, um, you know, with going to a really good bowl this past year. Those five games in a row and five straight weeks, you've got to hope that the injury bug stays away from them. You've got to hope that they steal a couple of these, but those are Two really tough roadies, um, an incredibly hard neutral site game against Notre Dame. And then Charlotte and Tulane at home um, kind of bookending it, it is not that's no walk in the park either. So, um, you know, I, I've circled that on the calendar. Uh, I, like you, I'm very excited about um, the three straight home games at the beginning of the year, particularly welcoming Colin Schofield and the Temple Owls. Uh, back down here on September 7th. And then December 14th, it almost seems like a late Army-Navy game. Um, you know, and, and as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, this Army-Navy game will be right down the road uh, in Landover, Maryland, at um, probably the worst pro stadium yeah. that exists. <laughs> you know, like, oh. I don't know. Let's call, let's call it the way it is, Chris. God, I mean, what a, I mean, it's a great location. It's great having it in the DC area. Um, but I mean, I'd rather play at Navy Marine Corps than at, uh, you know, Redskin Stadium or whatever they call it, FedEx Field or whatever it is now. Uh, what, what a shithole. Um, yeah, that place is know. awful. Yeah, yuck. <laughs> I'm sure, uh, this is all off the record, and our friends at USAA, we love. 
the Army Navy game um, and where it's played every year, except for this year. Um, yeah. We do we do not like Landover, Maryland. So, uh, but still, a really good football schedule. Uh, a great chance for us, uh, particularly um, as you know, Chris and I talked about the uh, the fact that PJ Volker is back. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a it's a good thing to get excited about. And as always here at the Alumni Association and Foundation, it gives us a chance to go out and get on the road in support of these road games. Birmingham, Alabama, can't wait. We'll see you on September 27th and 28th. Uh, Colorado, um, we'll be out there for the Air Force game the next week. You know, get ready, you chapter representative, representatives and parents club reps. Uh, can't wait. You know, the Rice game gives us another opportunity to visit another part of Texas, South Florida, and then scenic. Greenville, North Carolina for the East Carolina game during uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, despite the fact that it's Thanksgiving weekend, I know we'll have a great chance to interface with a bunch of grads down there. Chris, that is that. Um, great conversations today, um, particularly with Denny Moynihan. Really enjoyed that. Uh, your former shipmate, Katie Hill, out there in Arizona. Um, many thanks to our sponsors, to our listeners. Many thanks to you, Chris Cervello, for everything you do to produce this. And ladies and gentlemen, I am John Schofield. We'll see you next week. This is the Sing Second Podcast. We are out.